it's more now, I think, a matter of integrating existing components to solve business problems rather than creating completely custom solutions. And being able to do that very quickly, to me, makes my job very exciting in that we can bring value to organizations very quickly. There's so much information in the world that even thinking about all of it can be overwhelming. But finding connections between different pieces of data can put the mind at ease. Suddenly, the world is slightly less complex. Our guest today suggests that noticing repeated elements can provide a way to see problems and solutions more clearly. John, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right. Right out the gate, we ask this of all of our guests, but if someone doesn't know what Intervision does, can you explain for us, what is it, what does the company do, and what problems are you looking to solve? Okay. So we are at SSP, which is a strategic service provider, and we provide technology services and solutions to small, medium, large businesses, up to mid-enterprise. And we really stretch quite the gamut from on-prem solutions to increasingly you know, cloud-focused, you know, a whole variety of things, but very much business outcome-oriented, increasingly so, right? So we've changed significantly in the last few years as we've merged in different companies and really you know, changed with the times and the, the sort of focus on remote work and things like that. So very client-focused delivering technology to solve real business problems. Yeah, and give us an idea of the kind of industries you serve. Are they it's all over the place? Is it specialized and focused? It's it, That's a great question for us. We're like many companies as you grow, and we're you know about 600 people now, I think. Um, we are starting to focus more verticalized, right? Uh, we you know, have served and continue to serve a wide array of, of businesses, but... We are already starting to focus around healthcare, financial services, uh, public sector, higher ed, manufacturing. But you know, we also do quite a bit in media, entertainment, and gaming. So this is sort of a yes and no. I mean, we, we have had a pretty wide variety of companies. We're starting to focus more on those verticals. Most of what they have in common is they're highly regulated or you know, yeah. significantly regulated. Yeah. And the, when I was listening to you talk, I was thinking to myself, hey, there's a big divide. There's a big uh, split almost because like if I think of like a media and gaming company, they're probably embracing cloud solutions much earlier than let's say a healthcare company or a FINRA company. They're they're slower to the cloud. I know they're transforming fast, but that's the general perception. Yeah, I, I would have had the same perception, but it's actually not the case. Oh, media and entertainment is somewhat slow. In many areas to adopt the cloud, there's a lot of security and yeah, concerns around proprietary, you know, things like that. So you'd be surprised. And it's it's really our you know Southern California presence that is sort of the big focus around media entertainment. Um, although our latest acquisition is also doing some stuff in gaming that is pretty interesting you know around game engines and things like that so we're, we're looking at integrating those two components of our business so yeah it's pretty exciting stuff edge you know is starting to really become a 
player in all of that, but it's still a little sort of um, Wild West-ish with, with the edge technologies. So, you know, I spend quite a bit of time talking to Gartner and trying to understand where the market's going and where technology fits and, you know, how we best position ourselves to help our clients. And there's a lot going on, but it may not always be what you would expect, to be honest. Yeah. Why is that? Uh, well, like I said, I mean, security issues, security concerns. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do an you know, increasing amount across the board in you know, ransomware protection. Um, you know, security is holding certainly some organizations back, concerns in that area, and rightly so. The companies that are born in the cloud and that just embrace the cloud you know, from the very beginning are, are, you know, obviously see tremendous agility and growth and scalability by you know, using the technologies, it's tougher, having said that, for some of them, you know, larger organizations to to switch and um, really take advantage of the modern technologies as quite as quickly. So, and regulations, you know, are a big concern in the industries we're in as well. There's some really interesting things. If it's in your system, of course, that's a bigger problem than you got to solve. It's one of those things where your CEO probably always wants but doesn't want to invest in, yet when it needs needed, it's got to be the best. <laughs> right. It was the use case for the cloud. When we first got into sort of selling cloud services and migrations, you know, half a dozen or more years ago, we'd talk about DR. And I think this was 2015. I think Southwest had been taken down, right? Yeah. The airline. And we used that as an example. Um, and they were down for a few days or well, spotty. And, you know, really hit home at that point. So, yeah, I mean, it's a cost-benefit analysis. And, yeah, I can tell you, I mean, what I now know really is, it kind of scares me in that (laughs) I could, you know, I now understand, I got a stack of books here on um, (laughs) essentially on how to break into systems. Yeah. We do offensive security, you know, penetration testing. And, yeah, absolutely, we can get in. I can understand now how to get in and around, you know, endpoint protection and all of that. And then it's a matter of can you then laterally get out and take over control? Uh, and we're using, to do this, we use some the same software that the actual, you know, cyber criminals use, right? Except that we're communicating with our clients and they know we're there, right? Or they don't, uh, but they know that we're, you know, it, we're doing things for to help them. So, I mean, so that's very scary. And the average dwell time, which is the amount of time between when these criminals break in and to when they actually take action, is like 200 days. So they're in the system. They are potentially, you know, going after the backups. They're encrypting the backups first. So you need, you know, immutable backups that are air-gapped so that you can't lose your backups. So things like that need to be taken care of. Yeah, it is a pretty worrying scenario for a CIO or, you know, somebody who's in the sort of lead technology sort of role um, that when you think about it, you know, organizations are going to save money because they're not going to have to have physical offices as much anymore, right? Because they're increasingly just remote and using technology, but now they're increasingly vulnerable to being entirely kind of taken out, right? So if you're, you know, you're saving money because you may not be renting offices, but you're having to invest in more, you know, DR and and online security, you know, ransomware protection, 
as an organization or you should be. So, you know, that's part and parcel with your ability to truly leverage technology you know, in a modern way to support your, you know, your constituents, your customers. Yeah. The way you're describing this, it does echo some of the previous guests that are in CISO roles. They talk about really how the modern like or hacking organization, right? It's not even a person. It's an organization now is how sophisticated they can be and how the old concepts of, hey, they're going to drop some type of malware or ransomware. It's going to copy some information. It's going to replicate itself. And then you're going to see a system go down and then they're going to want to ask for money. Like that would be like the old way. But they talk about how like there's like these tools that companies now use or these hacking orgs use where they're just monitoring traffic, flow, communications. They want to do all this stuff. And then sometimes the attack is through a mirror with a pretend, because now they figured out John talks to Dave. Dave talks to Lisa. Every month, Dave asks Lisa for this thing. He, we're going to intercept that communication, mask ourselves as in, in their intercepting information. They're getting direct access potentially to financial accounts, customer records, critical data. So it's like a super advanced methodology of, um, like you kind of said, like kind of like lay in the shadows. It's like an ambush attack. Oh, it is. And I mean, they're um, able to use artificial intelligence, uh, machine learning, right? Just like we do for good intentions. They've got, you know, they've got entire sort of markets there where they issue challenges for, you know, be paid people to break into certain devices and things like that. So it it's a significant challenge and increasingly will be. So you've got to have this multi-pronged kind of way of defending yourself, but then also being able to recover. Makes total sense. It's based upon the consequence of error for you. Yeah. You know, if I lost this, what would that do for me? Now, how about for yourself personally? How did you end up having a love for technology? And of course, I want to know how you ended up on the, what seems like the security side. I'm sure you do other things, but uh, most of this conversation has been around security and disaster recovery. Give us an idea of where you started and how you got to where you're at. Okay, so back in the early 80s, uh, I got into writing games, right? Early Space Invaders sort of stuff. I picked up a book on the Z80 processor and taught, taught myself assembly code uh, and started writing, you know, early sort of Space Invader type stuff. <laughs> So your typical kind of nerdy, you know, teenage kind of, you know, then I, you know, did a computer science degree and got into uh, kind of writing operating systems and, you know, compilers and very technical things, went into the defense industry back in the UK, getting involved with tactical flight management and mm. all of that for British aerospace and that whole area. Sort of changed my career because the defense industry was kind of, dying off back there a bit and went into more sort of business. And I was always interested in how technology can solve real world problems, right? So I sort of got my fill of in those first few years, just the pure techie side of things. And then just became increasingly interested in business and growing businesses and understanding how technology could be part of that. So that's what brought me out to California in the late 80s, early 90s, doing, you know, general certain software for healthcare, you know, hospitals, things like that. So I've always sort of liked the challenge of how to take the latest technology and all the cool um, buzzwordy things and apply it. 
to a business, right? So come in and talk to a, the people that run businesses and just understand what makes this organization tick, right? No technology talk, just really understand how, how their business works, uh, how they interact with their clients, what their contracts are, how they make money. And then understand how technology can be applied to help them with that as an enabler. You know, too often technology these days constrains organizations. They've got these systems and the, how the systems work sort of start to influence how how they work. And I, well, yeah, that's backwards, right? Yeah. Technology should be enabling you. But in so many cases, it's not. It's the, it's the opposite, right? So many years I, I was in sort of a architecture, enterprise architecture, IT consulting, management consulting kinds of roles. In the last half a dozen years, I've become much more cloud infrastructure security focused, but then all still a lot of the time spending time talking with clients just about their businesses, right? What they do, how they do it, and how technology can help. The, the focus on security is because it is, uh, it, you know, it's become an existential threat to come. Yeah. Purely it can take them out of business, which is, you know, so it's job zero, right? When we, you know, talk to companies and what they should be doing, it's like, well, first and foremost, what are you doing for security? Let's get that sort of handled. And then let's talk about, you know, your your vision for your business. What are the business outcomes you're trying to achieve? What is the data that your organization operates on? Right. If you can understand the data that an operation uses, you know, ingests, creates, how they interact with that data, that's who they are. The the applications and the hardware and the software, that can come and go, right? That can be modernized. But increasingly, you think about it, the data that an organization operates on, that is that, if you just kind of step back and think about it. So Yeah. There's a lot of people that are saying that now, right? You'll hear some people say every company is a software company. Every company is a content company. And like you just said, possibly every company is a data company, right? Because they yeah. all have some type of information critical to their success that they have to protect. And I've always had, you know, since I got into thinking about systems, I've always had a data centric view. Yeah. Because that, that is the organization. Yes. So, and I agree, software. What is cool now is that you got all these crazy startups still, you know, sort of in the near where I live in the Bay Area. And now they're not pure tech. They are business that employs technology, right? So it's really fascinating seeing these newer companies, you know, be created and how they integrate technology. Obviously, you know, the, the big ones were companies like Uber that took yeah. modern omni-channel call center type of technology uh, and wrote on top of a whole platform. That's how they created the business, right? And became, you know, they complete disruptors into what, what they came into. Yeah. I always joke with some of our team members at Mission that the world is, I think, passed me by. Uh, when I think about how amazing companies and how big they're thinking, or maybe it's a byproduct of what gets funded, the biggest ideas get the funding. I think to myself, man, my ideas are just so small. I just think about small problems, solving small, simple things. It's 
Yeah, I don't know that it's passed you by at all. I think <laughs> if you can start to see the patterns, right, which yeah. certainly become, you know, with time, with age, you know, you sort of start to see the things that repeat, the swings from, you know, very centralized mainframes to client server to the internet to, you know, to mobile and then kind of the swinging back, you know, more to the cloud and then to edge and how that then sort of, you know, goes back and forth and really, you know, what does it matter? It's really about the business and what people are trying to do and what they're trying to, you know, do in their personal lives as well. So you, you see some of the same things sort of repeat, right? So I've always mm -hmm. looked patterns both in technology and in business and how does this organization what sort of problem patterns do they have and therefore what technology solution patterns fit that and you know so it's more now i think a matter of integrating existing components to solve business problems rather than creating completely custom solutions and being able to do that very quickly with very yeah. little sort of friction right to me, it makes my job very exciting in that we can bring value to organizations, you know, very quickly. There's no question about that. The one question I have for you, as you were talking, I kept thinking in my head is, you have an interesting seat, you know, you're CTO of a services provider. That means you also have to evaluate technology all the time. So I guess, how do you choose where to invest your time to investigate new technologies? Because this is one of those things where if you, you can't listen to the sales reps because every single sales reps on earth says they have groundbreaking technology. So that means you have to dial in and figure out of these new thousands of options, what it feels like each month in each category, which ones are going to be groundbreaking, which ones are going to transform my customer and of course, which one am I going to go pay attention to? Because you can't pay attention to them all. No, you're absolutely right. I mean, and we don't really, you know, we work with you know, businesses in various verticals. We don't necessarily need groundbreaking or, you know, bleeding edge. We're looking for things that are going to provide value, right? For the longer term, for our clients. They're going to work all the time when you need them. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we look, I, you know, I, I dropped some of the names there. We looked at certain um, organizations that can help with that, right? Who are out talking with customers and, you know, they've, and frankly, you know, they work with multiple organizations like us. Yeah. And we've got long, long standing relationships with certain technology companies. And so we're tight with them. We know what's coming, we know how they are working out in the market, you know, the, the Amazons, the Microsofts, the Google, you know, they're out there, you know, they've got hundreds of thousands of customers, right? Um, so if you look at what they're doing, you don't have to figure it all out yourself, right? So <laughs> we look to our partners, to industry experts, and we spend a lot of time talking to our clients, seeing what they, what they need right advisory board kind of thing yeah. so really understanding where they're at and what they need and they don't probably need the absolute latest shiny object right they they need things that are going to help them in the business you know this month next month next year help them with you know interact with their their employees their uh, customers so we spend a lot of time 
talking with our technology partners. Um, we've got a team that does just that, right? Who are then coming to me saying, you know, this vendor's got this and this, right? We think it's probably market leading, or we know it's market leading. Um, and, you know, they're, they're using it over here very well for in this segment for these clients that delivering value. So we're, we're looking for things that are proven um, or at yep. least starting to be proven. Yeah, it, that can. So we're pretty organized because, you know, we're a certain size. But then, you know, that can get disrupted, right? Because you get some company that's growing very rapidly and getting market share very rapidly. They're out selling. They may have sold to some of our clients. You know, you get kind of shadow IT and, you know, IT is becoming sort of an older style word itself, right? Because technology is now very much just joined into business. So um, in some cases, we may not be choosing the technology. Our clients may already be using it, right? And, you know, software as a service, there are various forces in place, right, in the market. We adapt, right, and we uh, look at our own roadmap, develop our own roadmaps um, across certain areas. We've got centers of excellence around cloud and infrastructure and communications and resiliency. So we bring experts within our company together in those areas, and then we build solutions that incorporate components to, from each of those. So there's a value to sort of being focused in a particular area, but then if you're not careful, you're creating a silo, right, in an organization. Yeah. So then you have to look, step back and look across the greater picture, which is a lot of my my job, right? I'm sort of up and down between looking at things in great detail and then coming back and looking at the bigger picture, considering the market forces, looking at what our clients are asking for, and then looking at where we think it's going to go in the next three months, six months, 18 months, and perhaps beyond that. But with as quickly as things change in this business, you know, sort of an 18-month view is, for me right now, is probably, you know, kind of where, where I'm at. Beyond that, it, you know, it, it gets harder because we've absorbed so much change, you know, in the world in the last couple of years that, you know, really changed the way we all work that, you know, I, I think we're going to see some really systemic fundamental changes coming. We don't really want to tie, tie ourselves in too much. I, you know, as much as anything, I think it's, it, it's really getting uh, infrastructure and solutions and, you know, architecture and things in place that can continue to change without being completely disruptive, right? So we'll deliver yeah. solutions to organizations that are not necessarily a particular technology. There's a level of sort of indirection between what we're giving them and the underlying technology because six months from now, the underlying technology, there may be some better from a different vendor and we'll come and we'll put that in. So by working with us, the clients get the benefit of increasing, you know, of newer technology without it becoming disruptive to them. Makes total sense. John, I want to say thank you for joining us today on IT Visionaries and sharing some of the work that you're doing at Intervision. But before you go, it is time for the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by the Salesforce platform, the number one cloud platform for digital transformation of every experience. John, this is where we ask you questions outside of the realm of work so our audience can get to know you a little better. All right. 
All right. What kind of hobbies or activities do you enjoy outside of work? Okay. Uh, Hobby-wise, what I do is I build, fly, and race remote control airplanes, right? More older style, gas-powered, you know, look like World War II. Wait a second. Gas-powered? Well, they're nitro-powered. They're not (laughs) electrics. So they nitromethane, kind of stuff that runs dragsters and things like that in very small supercharged engines. So this is one of those kind of things I get completely into. My wife thinks I'm a complete idiot with it. (laughs) So do you fly these? uh, Is it like a course or something like that where like you have to dodge obstacles? Yeah. I mean, if you've ever heard of the Reno air races where these World War II planes fly around these pylons that are like five miles apart, it's a it's a kind of scaled down version of that with six foot wingspan planes that are up four or five at a time. Oh, this is pretty, it's a big RC device, six foot wingspan. Yeah. About 150, 160 miles an hour, four or five planes up at a time. You know, once in a while we- Oh, this is no joke. This is no joke. How far away can one fly before it goes out of range of your, um, your controller? Further than you can see. Really? Yes. I mean, you're probably flying a hundred yards away from you. And now we've got enforced 400 foot um, ceiling because of the whole sort of law changing from the FAA. We're in drones. Okay. So So this is a very intense activity. You said these things get over a hundred miles an hour. So now I got to ask how much does it cost? One of these, one of these RC planes, is it, it's got to it's got to cost you something. Ask me that because my wife want, might see this. Because um, <laughs> I know if you're doing these stunts, you're also crashing them. Yeah, no, I mean you're probably <laughs> investing a yeah a thousand dollars or so in a plane, and oh, it's not too bad. Yeah, and if it crashes, if you're lucky, the the kind of the expensive parts survive. The engine and the you know the radios these days are very sort of solid state, pretty robust. So you know, <laughs> it, it's. It's not as bad as it used to be way back. So, yeah, it's a, it's a great hobby. And, I mean, then the whole drone side of it is cool too, which is, you know, but in some ways to me that's kind of boring because the, the software can just control the whole thing, right? It can yeah. see that. It can come back to you. You just press a button. You, just, you, you want to pilot this thing. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'm so more old school. And, I, you know, yeah. for me it's, uh, it's an adrenaline rush, the competitiveness, and I'm – you know, still somewhat competitive person. So there's there's various aspects to that. There's engineering, technology, competitive. You know, so so that that's kind of a, you know very geeky, but not you know. I've got a group of people we gather. We're actually doing it this weekend. There'll be people from kind of all over the West Coast to one of the events near us. So near at my club. So it's kind of a you know, rolling in some RVs, you know. Hey, listen, on IT Visionaries, we don't think anyone's geeky. It's always interesting hearing people's hobbies. So, yeah, there you go. I mean. <laughs> that's, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. A little competition, a little engineering all wrapped into one hobby. It is. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, thanks for joining us today again on IT Visionaries. It was awesome having you. Thanks for sharing some of your vision for disaster recovery, security, cybersecurity, hybrid work and r- remote workforce. And of course, remote control planes. There you go. Hey, great talking with you, Albert.